This is the axon terminal. Then we'll go through uh, little pictures. These are what's called synaptic vessels that float around inside of the uh, knob. It's called the uh, synaptic knob or this axon terminal or synaptic knob. Now, another thing, there's a very good animation on your AP body revealed that goes through these exact steps I'm going to talk about. My advice is to pay attention to that video. It's very, very nice. It's an animation. Go under muscle, select animation over here on the right, and go to the one that says, um, synapse of a muscle, uh, there's one on there that explains that sarcomere, uh, synaptic, uh, transmitters, there's a bunch on there for this. So it gives you a visual picture that you can actually sit and watch while you're at home. This is called the synaptic cleft. Inside these little synaptic vessels, again, they're just vesicles if you want, or in these synaptic. Inside of here is a little neurotransmitter. The, neurotransf the neurotransmitter for all muscle is acetylcholine, acetylcholine. And I'll go back so you can spell it, but acetylcholine or acetylcholine, whichever you want to call it. <clears throat> it gets released into the synaptic, and I'll go through the steps in a minute, but it gets released into the synaptic left it will attach to receptors from what's referred to as the postsynaptic membrane. And stimulate another nerve impulse and then the muscle will contract. There's skeletal muscle contraction animation on there. There's this one on there. Um, and there's several more that just to be honest, I would definitely watch because they are helpful in understanding if you can visually see things moving around and it makes more sense. Every time you contract your muscle, this happens. You don't know it, but that's what's going on. For every muscle bundle, you have a specific neuron coming down to control when it contracts. So there's contraction of the muscle, which is one process. There's the neuron coming down that's going to actually cause that muscle to contract. And they use the terms like depolarization, repolarization. Uh, you'll learn this when you do the heart. When you're talking about a, an ECG reading, it talks about a P wave, a QRS wave, and a T wave. These are ventricular depolarization 
and atrial depolarization and repolarization. This is what it is. All it is is ions going from one side, inside of the neuron, to outside. And there's little gates in there that will open up and close. Uh, when they get a signal to open up, they'll let something rush in, such as sodium or calcium, whichever it happens to be. Uh, the gates will close, another gate will open, and potassium will rush out. That's an action potential. It's called an action potential. Best way to learn it, again, is the animations on those little A and P body reveals. So what happens here is, and then we'll, I'll walk you through the PowerPoint. A stimulation, nerve impulse, travels down, and again, that's a different series. It's sodium and potassium. But something else that happens towards the nerve end, end point here, this axon comes down, these little sodium gates open, sodium rushes in, or calcium rushes in. Here's the calcium. Now the purpose of the calcium rushing in, it will bind to the membrane on these little vessels. The little calcium's got receptors. And it will stimulate the release of this acetylcholine. They abbreviate it ACH, acetylcholine. Acetylcholine then will diffuse onto these little receptors on the postsynaptic membrane and create another uh, impulse running across the membrane. Again, calcium is going to be released, the muscle contract. Everybody kind of understand it? You got to watch the videos on this. That's the whole process. All muscle contraction involves acetylcholine. That's its neurotransmitter. You have a hundred different types of neurotransmitters in your body. <clears throat> this is just one of them. You have a um, epinephrine, you have epinephrine, Epinephrine, you have dopamine, you have serotonin, you have glycine, you have another one called GABA. These are all different types of neurotransmitters. What happens is you can't go from a neuron to a neuron using just the stimulation of a nerve impulse by itself. In order to get it across to the membrane of the next neuron or the muscle, you have to use what's called neurotransmitters. Often in the brain, dopamine and serotonin play a major role in some of these uh, disorders, behavioral disorders and so forth, because there's an imbalance of those neurotransmitters. So neurotransmitters play a very major role in, uh, again, nerve impulse happens to be one. So here's your action potential running down. It causes these sodium to rush in or I keep saying sodium, calcium to rush in. Calcium binds to the neurotransmitter's membrane, which is the synaptic vessel. Inside, it's just a little round sac that contains all of these uh, acetylcholine. It, the membrane will fuse with the membrane 
at the at the presynaptic area here, and then it will release its content through a process called exocytosis. It will then diffuse into the space. It will bind to these little postsynaptic receptors, if you would. And then, finally, sodium rushes in, and this begins a depolarization across the membrane of the muscle. Everybody good? And that's what that says. So just to go back. Where are we at now? So this is also referred to as a neuromuscular junction. So when you have the uh, motor neuron almost touching, it doesn't touch it exactly. There's a space there. That's called the synaptic space. Where it abuts the little muscle fiber, that's called the neuromuscular junction. The actual membrane forms what's called the muscle fiber membrane, forms a motor end plate. Uh, it's composed of the, the sarcolemma, which just means membrane. Uh, it has an abundant amount of uh, mitochondria and nuclei. It has cytoplasm and multiple types of little synaptic vessels inside that motor end plate, which contains a neurotransmitter. The motor neuron then is also referred to as, in the fiber, a motor unit. Now, these little gates that you talk about opening and closing, because then we're going to go through a, a nerve impulse, these are little gates that will open and close when something's going to diffuse inside or leave. There's two types. One is voltage-gated channels, and one is called ligand-gated channels. This one is... Um, In other words, it's like a ball and chain. This one requires a ligand, that just means a protein that's going to attach to it before the gate can open. That's all that means. Uh, some neurotransmitters require a ligand gate, uh, which is again a receptor. So, so this part, the protein or glycoprotein, is usually the receptor. This is a ligand gated channel. That means you've got to have something binding to the receptor in order for the ion to go into this cell or out of the cell. Everybody good? <clears throat> so if the gate is closed until the uh, neuroreceptor attaches, to, the neurotransmitter uh, attaches to the receptor, and again, then once the gate opens here, sodium will rush in. So once this attaches the acetylcholine, sodium, it will open the gate for sodium to rush into the muscle. And that begins the actual nerve impulse. Everybody good? So it's a bunch of ions doing different little things. This one is, again, voltage gated. Just means a charge will open the gate for specific ions to go in and out. Uh, you don't need the ball and chain. 
So call that one a ball and chain if you want. <clears throat> now, here's what happens here. Um, and you have to learn it because you have to learn eventually uh, an ECG reading of the heart. And it will talk about depolarization, repolarization. So you have to know what that means. Depolarization uh, becomes less negative as it reaches threshold, then it will become, again, what they call depolarization. You have to meet what's called threshold, which is right here in this case. So you've got to get it up to threshold or it won't go at all. So if it doesn't hit threshold, the action potential will not occur. So the stimuli has to be strong enough that it's going to reach threshold and open the gates. So here you're going to cause what's, what's referred to as depolarization. All those little gates will open and let sodium rush in. Once you open the door for sodium, they'll all, just like a domino effect, when, when you flip one, they'll all fall down, right? So once you open one, they'll all open up very, very rapidly. Okay, so it's controlled also by what's referred to as a uh, sodium-potassium pump that keeps this going and making it come back down to rest. So repolarization is simply meaning up here, this whole thing is referred to as depolarization. This line going down is referred to as repolarization. So here, the sodium gates will close, right? Are you following? First the gates open, it lets sodium rush in. That brings you up to here. Then the sodium gates will close, the potassium gates will then open, and potassium rushes out. This again is an animation on your A&P man and I definitely would watch it, it'll make more sense. So this part of the whole thing is repolarization. Getting it eventually back up to rest. And again, the resting membrane potential is due to a little pump in there that regulates uh, three sodiums to two potassiums. So as it lowers, it's going back down to rest then you can trigger another action potential or another nerve impulse. It will accept another stimuli. So here it's called an all or none principle. It either works with a strong enough stimuli or it doesn't work at all. You can't just keep, um, you can't in between here try to start another stimuli because it's, it's not, it's called absolute refractory uh, and that just means you can't get it to do anything. So it's got to go all or nothing. So once it gets started, it will complete its little action potential. So frequency, the number of action potentials produced per unit of time is re referred to as the frequency of an action potential. Um, and that's about all there is on that. Now this is what it looks like. Uh, this is an actual nerve impulse traveling in all your nerves at this point. You just don't realize that they're working very hard and doing all this work. 
So what happens is the membrane itself of a neuron is more negative inside as compared to outside. Outside is more positive. And what they're talking about is the charge on the ions creating a, they're either positively charged ions such as sodium, uh, potassium, positive charged ions. You get a difference between the membrane potential between the two sides, the inside and the outside. So therefore, once you stimulate this, it's going to signal little gates to open and let sodium rush in, uh, and it will travel down the whole length of that axon or neuron. But it's actually, this occurs within the axon of a neuron. So once the stimulus happens, it's like a domino effect. It will move all the way down, opening all the little gates right behind it, these gates will begin to go back to rest. So it's more negative inside as compared to outside, therefore the outside's more positive. Once the gates begin to open, it changes that. It's more positive inside as compared to outside. Once it keeps traveling or propagated down the axon terminal, it becomes back to rest here and goes back to normal. Negative inside, positive outside. Everybody good? That's considered a action potential. It consists of two parts, depolarization and repolarization. Um, and again, this is fine as long as it's traveling down the axon. But once it gets to the end of the axon, that's as far as it goes. It can't go any further. It has to have some other means of getting that signal to the next neuron or to the next muscle. It does that by using a neurotransmitter. So it's a chemical. Uh, it's released at the presynaptic membrane. In this case, it's diffusing across and is gonna stimulate another action potential, in our case, the muscle, the muscle membrane. So here it diffuses across the synaptic cleft. That means the space in between. It can either stimulate or inhibit. We won't get into that too much, but right now just stimulate. But it can inhibit. Some of these neurotransmitters, um, especially the pain, pain ones, they can actually inhibit. Some, that's why they, they talk about some people respond to pain differently. This is the theory behind that. So this stimulates the production of the action potential in the postsynaptic. Now, that just means before synapse or after synapse. They call the first part of that presynaptic because it hasn't synapsed yet, and postsynaptic is afterwards. So after the neurotransmitter is released, it attaches to the membrane, that would be the postsynaptic membrane they're talking about. That's all that means, just a fancy way of doing that. Now, what it does have, which I didn't mention yet, in the case of a muscle, the neurotransmitter is acetylcholine. The actual enzyme, because here's what they, they have, they have drugs that can block the enzyme. Now, what would happen if I gave a drug to block that enzyme there, acetylcholinesterase? What would happen to acetylcholine?
Okay, the enzyme degrades acetylcholine and breaks it apart. So if you look at this picture, once it binds to the receptors and sodium rushes in, it's done its job. It opened the gates, right? Well, you can't just leave it there. You have to get rid of it. Otherwise, your muscle will get twitches and tremors, and which can happen in certain disorders. And so they have a drug now that will block the enzyme. This enzyme comes in and degrades acetylcholine. You can't just leave it there. It's going to continue to cause muscle contraction. You don't want that. So your body has a way of, of taking care of that and keeping everything at a nice balance. It breaks it down into acetic acid and choline. Then it enters in the, the synaptic knob here and just is converted back to acetylcholine and then stored again in the little membrane vessel. Everybody understand? That way it's kind of recycled every time. You're not constantly making acetylcholine. The enzyme, the drug out that will block that enzyme, allows acetylcholine to stay there longer. This is people that has uh, weak muscles, they're not contracting properly, there's different disorders they use this drug on, which will make that muscle sustain contraction a little bit longer. So they block it, it's called acetylcholinesterase enzyme. And the drug they use will block that enzyme and keep it from degrading the acetylcholine. So the acetylcholine will stay there longer to sustain a longer contraction for people that has problems with the tone of their muscle. Everybody good? So that's why that's important. Or where was I? So again, this is what that's saying. I went through that. All right, now this is the other hard part about the physiology of muscle. After the action potential goes down, acetylcholine binds to the receptor on the muscle membrane, it's going to stimulate contraction. It does this by dipping down into what's called the T-tubules, so that action potential will dip down into the T-tubules and stimulate the release of a calcium. And it's a rush of calcium, so a whole bunch of calcium gets sent out to the muscle. It's going to attach to tropomyosin. It's a complex of uh, tropomyosin and troponin. So the calcium binds to the troponin, and actually I think that's a test question. Calcium binds to, uh, to troponin. When that happens, this complex together will move out of the way and let the actual head of myosin attach to the binding site, and then from that point, it acts as a ratchet and pulls that sarcomere inward. So this is myosin, this is actin. So usually you have an actin here and an actin here, and here's your myosin with actually double, double little bands. It's thick. 
So the thick myosin will attach to the binding site on the thin actin and just like a ratchet, pull it inward on both sides. And so that shortens the sarcomere. Then in the relaxed state, when that's shortened, that means contraction. When it's relaxed, it will go back to the normal uh, Z lines. So here, again, the best way to watch this is use an animation. Uh, I'll find a couple animations online I can st stick up there for you also to use, but I still like the uh, body revealed. These are called the cross bridges. This is the actin, this is the actin, this is the thick myosin. So he, they call these little things here the cross bridges or the myosin head. So the myosin head, once calcium attaches to troponin and the tropomyosin complex, it causes it to move away, releasing or opening up that binding site so the myosin head can fit in there and act like a ratchet to pull it inward. The other thing you need other than calcium is energy, and that comes from ATP. That's what cocks the head back pops the head back is the ATP. So two things, if you don't have calcium, enough calcium, if you don't have enough ATP, your muscle's not gonna contract very well. That's what that's saying. Now again, the fly, this, this, if you wanna look it up in the muscle section for your animation, it's called the sliding filament uh, mechanism or theory. And this is just telling you what I just did. Again, I'll try to find some cuter uh, animations and put them online for you. The energy again comes from ATP. So the conversion of ATP to ADP, that means adenosine diphosphate. Uh, ATP is an energy carrying molecule in your body. It has three phosphates attached to it. When it's got three phosphates attached, it's called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. Every time you break the bond, you're gonna strip off electrons and release energy. So that's ATP. Our body has to have it or we'll end up in rigor mortis. That means you're dead. <laughs> um, so AT ADP is provided uh, as far as the cross links, it's provides this little enzyme called ATPase. Uh, and that causes the head then uh, to be cocked back in its position. Again, a, uh, this is the stimulation is all due to the release of acetylcholine from this synaptic cleft and it goes over and attaches to the little binding sites. These old protein receptors then allow the gates to open, sodium will rush in, and that's depolarization of the muscle membrane. Then what happens is this signal goes deep down into what's called the sarcolemma, which is the membrane of the muscle, into these T-tubules where calcium is stored. And once it reaches the sarco, plasmic reticulum and the T-tubules, calcium will be released, a lot of it. Um, high concentration of calcium then will interact with the troponin and the tropomyosin complex. Calcium actually binds to the troponin. Then troponin is already attached to tropomyosin. That forms a complex. 
that makes it move. It's called a conformational change anytime you see something like that. And then again, these little binding sites will be exposed for the head of uh, actin to contract. The sarcomere was shortened. Then you've got to have a way to get rid of that acetylcholine. Otherwise, it'll hang around. It'll keep causing contraction of the muscle. And then that would wear your muscle out and you'd get fatigued. So acetylcholinesterase, again, will decompose the acetylcholine. Everything goes back to rest. Calcium returns to the sarcoplasmic reticulum where it will be stored again for the next muscle contraction. This is the little diagram. It's from Z to Z. These are the little actin, the dark purple, and this one in the center is the little myosin. This is the relaxed state. Then contraction is pulling those Z lines inward toward each other. The filaments actually don't shorten. It's just shortening the sarcomere. This is considered the contractile unit of the muscle. This is the whole steps. I personally, I would read it and then I'd watch videos on it because that's the best way to understand it because it'll show you with motion what's going on, make it attach, uh, causing muscle contraction, and it's all good. And this thing did work, but at one time I don't think it works anymore. I don't think it'll work. Uh, but these are the kind of videos they'll have on there. But again, I don't think this one works. For some reason, I need to either get new stuff. If the red arrows don't show up, then it doesn't work. And it doesn't work. But um, again, <clears throat> it's on that little AP video. And I'll put up some. There's called Amoeba Sisters. And they're really good to watch and they're kind of uh, funny and, and kind of get you all excited about it. I know it's not exactly an exciting topic, but it is an important one because later on you'll come back and say, oh, well, I guess I did hear that. I understand why that's working the way it is. A lot of mus muscle disorders has to do with this acetylcholine and it not functioning proper. So, or you don't have enough of it. So many drugs are out that takes care of that. Here again, this was your cross bridge. You can find these again, uh, all redone on the little uh, PowerPoint. Now, I don't spend a lot of time on muscle contraction of smooth muscle. Uh, we do know the term peristalsis, right? Yes, no? Do you know what that means? Yeah. What? I said yeah. What's it mean? Isn't that the muscle movement of your intestine? Yes. All internal organs, because it, it's always got a, even, even your blood vessels, has a, a, a layer of smooth muscle around it. Smooth muscle is always controlled by these autonomic nervous systems, which is epinephrine, norepinephrine, those kind of things. Uh, it's referred to as the sympathetic stimulation or parasympathetic stimulation. And what will happen is you still need calcium, but you also need another protein called calmodulin. And since you get that from the substrate, it takes muscle a little longer, the smooth muscle, a little longer to contract. And it's very slow. So it's not like rapid and fast like skeletal muscle. It's very slow and steady. 
So it's segmented. So you'll get a contraction, then the above segment will relax, and then it'll contract, then the above segment relaxes. It slowly churns the food down and gets it out of the intestine for you. But it's not just the intestine, it's all organs. Function in a very slow contraction, very steady contraction, but not rapid and quick like a skeletal muscle. Uh, and it's also controlled by what's referred to as the autonomic nervous system. So again, I don't do a lot about this. Uh, something that smooth muscle does not have, remember it's not striated, it's a spindle shaped, it has a centrally placed nucleus. It has no T-tubules, so calcium is not stored in the T-tubules. There's just a little bit of indentation in the sarcoplasm, in the sar sarcolemma, or, uh, and stored there. So it's, it doesn't have a, a mass supply of calcium because it doesn't have the T-tubules. It has dense bodies and areas that are connected to the uh, non-contractile filaments. And again, no troponin, there's no troponin there. And contraction depends on how much calcium is available in the area. So the more calcium, uh, the better it will contract. Smooth muscle here, you've got again, calcium's required to initiate the contraction. You have enzymes there that's going to strip off phosphates and do all that good stuff and then it, the muscle will relax. I don't ask a lot of questions on the smooth muscle contraction. It's mainly the skeletal muscle. This is just showing you how it works. It's very complex, that's why I don't make you know this one. It uses a second messenger and the second messenger is some type of, uh, in other words, this hormone can't come in and cause a response uh, so it attaches to a receptor and turns on these what's called G protein complexes. These are referred to as a second messenger. And again, I don't make you know this in depth. I would know that uh, you need calmodulin uh, and calcium has to be bound to that and then in order to get the smooth muscle contraction. Now, what type of smooth muscle do you have? It's mainly referred to as visceral. It's found in the gastrointestinal tract, reproductive tract, urinary tract. It's laid down in a sheet of little uh, smooth muscle fibers. You get a wave of contraction. Uh, its rhythm is uh, controlled mainly by the autonomic nervous system. It regulates itself. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to tell it what to do. It's got multi-units, which is just groups of cells independent of other units. And again, it's laid down in sheets. Where, again, where else do you find it? The erector pili muscle, which is attached to the hair follicle. It surrounds all blood vessels. It's, this is what controls your blood pressure. You have arterioles, which are small, that's innervated by the autonomic nervous system and that it can cause them, especially say if you're hot or cold or whatever you happen to be, uh, but if you need to sweat a lot, your vessels have to dilate and this is how it does that through the autonomic nervous system. 
The smooth muscle will respond by dilating, letting the heat out through the skin. Or if you happen to be cold, it can vasoconstrict those vessels and keep the heat in. Uh, and it goes on and on. Uh, what controls some of the um, smooth muscle contraction within the organs of the body is hormones, is a major one. Uh, sudden stretch will stimulate peristalsis. So if you had a big meal, you got a lot of food going, going down your gut, it will allow a lot of stretching to occur. That aids in pushing the food downward. Neurotransmitters, uh, again, the major one being acetylcholine, but in the case of smooth muscle contraction, the other important neurotransmitter is norepinephrine. Have y'all heard of that, norepinephrine? Uh, these hormones are important, uh, at, as well as epinephrine and oxytocin. Oxytocin. These are hormones. Epinephrine. Now, norepinephrine is not a hormone, it's a neurotransmitter. The hormones are epinephrine and oxytocin. That's what happens when uh, you're getting ready to deliver a baby. You get a big surge of oxytocin, and that's a hormone then that will bind to the smooth muscle and cause you to contract to push the baby's head out. You get a high level of that right before, due to the baby pressing downward, that stimulates the release of oxytocin from the pituitary gland, travels through the blood, and then causes those uterine contractions so you can get the baby out. What time is it? Oh. All right, so now the cardiac muscle. Um, again, it's gonna contract very similar to skeletal muscle with the exception of what regulates a little bit more so is the calcium regulation for the heart muscle. And it produces a plateau on the um, actual nerve impulse. So if you're looking at a nerve impulse, it usually goes like this, then back down, and then levels off to rest. So this would be rest. This is called hyperpolarization, hyper. It takes calcium a little longer, um, potassium a little longer to uh, get those gates closed and before it actually goes back up to rest. And I'm gonna explain that after you get the handle on this one. This is the depolarization, this is repolarization, and this is again back down to rest. This is called hyperpolarization. Okay, this is what a typical nerve impulse looks like in all the nerves and the neurons, as well as the neuron going to the muscle. But in the heart, it's a little bit different. You will still get depolarization, but you get a plateau phase and then repolarization. So this is repolarizing, going back to rest. This one's depolarized, this whole thing going up here. <clears throat> and this is a plateau phase. 
And this is where calcium comes in to regulate the contraction. This is due to prolonged uh, calcium gates being open. Everybody good? So that's a, uh, if you're looking at heart, it looks like this. If you're talking about muscle or any other neuron, it looks like this one here. <clears throat> so there it is, that's your typical action potential. Comes up, this is depolarization. This is a stimuli, you've got to reach threshold, so that one's threshold. This one is depolarization, this is repolarization. Um, stimuli, I guess, in this picture would be A. D is the threshold. Then E is hyperpolarization, hyperpolarized. Everybody got it? So in this case, the gates would open. That means a stimuli occurred. Sodium gates open, sodium rushes in. You get up here, all of the B is depolarization. Repolarization, sodium gates will close. That's up here, peak. Sodium gates close, potassium gates open. Again, D is what you call threshold. All action potentials are an all or none process. Therefore, you gotta reach threshold at D. E is hyperpolarized. That means anything down in here, uh, the potassium gates stay open longer, so it takes a little bit longer to get back up to rest. Um, when the action potential reaches presynaptic knob, the calcium diffuses into the presynaptic terminal, and there again, that's through those little voltage-gated channels. Synaptic vessels in the neuromuscular junction contain what neurotransmitter? It's acetylcholine. These were just questions I put at the end. The abdominal muscles that uh, has the origin at the pubic crest and symphysis pubis. These are things that I wanted you to look up just so you'll know. I don't make you know, because that's what we're getting ready to go into. Um, I don't make you know all the origin and insertion, which is coming up when we talk about the anatomy of the muscle. Um, but I do expect you to know where the muscle is and what its function is. What happens when you contract the right sternocleidomastoid? That would rotate your head to the left. So again, pay attention when you're studying the muscle contractions, uh, what they're doing and what they're moving. Again, you don't have to know the origin and insertion in an exact way, but you do have to know where it's at and what it's moving. Which muscle rotates and protracts the scapula and elevates the rib? Serratus anterior. So what happens is that serratus anterior muscle pulls your ribs from the back, pulls your scapula inward. Uh, if you get damage to that nerve, that you'll get what's called a winged scapula. It flares out in the back. You'll push on the wall, and all of a sudden this one's sticking way out here. The other one's in like it should be. Flexing up, flexion of the hip is the movement that's produced by. 
the psoas major, and the il iliacus. Now, in your book, they call this the iliopsoas. It's all one word. But a long time ago, they, they separated it. But the books use it both ways. That's it. Now, we'll do the anatomy. Most of that will be done in lab. And again, I won't know how that's all going to go. If I have to put things up as a lab, I will. But I won't know probably anything until tomorrow afternoon what they have planned.